This is Dr. Robin Axelrod. For the past 15 years, I've been helping children and adults meet their full potential. On our podcast, we're going to share some tips and tricks with you and some of my knowledge on how you can reach your potential and your family's goals. Each week, we'll be highlighting different specialists that can help you understand human development and how to assist your family in living their best lives. Welcome to Ask the Therapist. Welcome to Ask the Therapist. Today I'm joined with Rafael Salazar from Augusta, Georgia, who is an occupational therapist working on a large project for the state of Georgia. He's an independent healthcare consultant transitioning individuals out of state hospitals and institutions. So welcome, Rafael. Hey, glad to be here. Okay, so um, this is something new and exciting. You know, I'm an occupational therapist myself, but um, this project sounds like something really exciting, um, interesting, and definitely very, um, you know, purposeful. Um, can I ask you, how did you get to this area of practice? How did you start working on this project? What was your OT journey leading to this? Yeah, so sure. I actually took a, a, a very roundabout way to end up here. So, <laughs> so I actually got into OT um, because I, in high school, had a flexor tendon injury and was in a hand therapy clinic for three days a week for the balance of the summer for my senior year. So I was going to go into OT school really to be a hand therapist, um, and that's that was the goal. I went to OT school, ended up spending about four and a half years at the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, ended up being the lead clinician in an outpatient orthopedic clinic. So I was doing a lot of shoulders and hands and really biomechanical work. Um, and then I was getting a little burnt out doing that. Um, anybody who's worked in the federal government knows that there's a lot of red tape, there's a lot of bureaucracy. And there were just some changes I wanted to make that couldn't be made. Um, so in a, in a day of desperation, <laughs> I jumped on LinkedIn, actually, and was just browsing for, for jobs. Um, and I saw uh, a post from like a, you know, like a third level connection, so a connection of a connection that was looking for an OT consultant in Augusta. Uh Um, and I really didn't know what anything about it. So I messaged him and said, Hey, I'm an OT. I'm in Augusta. (laughs) What, what does an OT consultant do? Um, and within about 30 minutes, I was on the phone with, uh, Derek, who's the guy that I contract with now who owns CRA consulting. And he, basically told me what the deal was. And in Georgia, specifically, the the project that we were working on was that there are state institutions still um, that people with individuals with developmental disabilities, intellectual and developmental disabilities, have lived in. That's been their their source of care for their whole lives, you know, 40, 50 years. Um, And through a series of events, Georgia has decided to begin... um, offering services and support for those individuals in the community, and they were running into some problems, primarily those around safety and ensuring that they were the appropriate health care supports in place when they transitioned out. Uh-huh. Um, so they, they put together a team of basically a, a lot of disparate health care professions. So we've got PTs and OTs and speech therapists and nurses, um, some pharmacists, some... Um, wow respiratory therapists. So we all come together to provide what we're calling integrated clinical support services for these individuals. Um, And really, you know, when I was going through school, 
I don't know if it was this way with you, but we, we talked about institutions in one of the classes, like community services classes or something like that, and it was told to us, um, yeah, there's there's this big state hospital, big institution in, in Georgia. In fact, it's in the same city of Augusta, and it closed down. So I was under the impression that all these people were out in the community anyways, that there weren't state institutions uh, right. in Georgia, and in fact, there there were. Um, and so just something about hearing, hearing that um, and then hearing the story of these people getting a life out in the community just, you know, it, it stirred something inside of me. And I was like, well, I'm going to do this. Uh, right. So it was a very, um, very risky move for my position. So I, I was actually studying for the, for the CHT exam, put that on hold, um, and started consulting. And I, I did that two, two years ago, and I haven't looked back. I don't think I could go back to a hand clinic, I don't think. Wow, that's like a, a calling almost like, you know. Yeah, very much so. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so um, that's definitely a roundabout way to get to where you are. Um, can you explain, like, what does the independent healthcare consultant do? Like, what does your day look like? What are your responsibilities? You know, um, what, what, is it, what does the schedule look like for you? Yeah, so um, I work out of my home office, mm-hmm. so that's nice. For the, yeah. you know, I've got three kids, four <laughs> wow. under, so it's nice to be able to help out when I need to. But um, we do a lot. So from, from a policy standpoint and a procedural standpoint, I've done a, a good bit of work on the process of transitions. So what happens when somebody you know, decides that they want to, to reside in the community as opposed to an institution? What are the steps involved in that? I've done a little bit of work in that, mm-hmm. primarily around home modifications oh. and that sort of thing. So a lot of these individuals have wheelchairs, have uh, adaptive equipment issues, um, and there was no real process in place for, um, for, for just doing the modifications, to, for doing an assessment and determining what needed to be done to the home and then a process for getting it done. So I did some work and actually developed the template that we use now for home assessments. Um, so I do a little bit of that, a little bit of what, the boring policy stuff. And then a lot of it is um, community clinicians and community residential providers doing training, providing technical assistance, working with case managers and vendors and connecting them so that we can get the appropriate equipment, make sure that it's being used appropriately and safely. Um, if there's an issue where um, where somebody might need services but they're on Medicaid waiver and it's hard to find um, hard to find uh, community clinicians that'll provide that, we kind of step in the gap and at least provide some training to the staff if it's something like range of motion or transfer training or you know how to use a mechanical lift or something like that. So it it varies. Um, no day is is the same as the one before. Um, so like today, I did a lot of work on. Uh, following up on some folks across the state that we've been involved with and just making sure that they're getting the equipment they need and that is being ordered. On Friday, I'll go up to Atlanta to one of the hospitals to do a discharge meeting. Um, so it, it just kind of changes day to day. Depending on the needs. of, of Depending, the yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. That's so interesting. And which diagnoses, could you give us some examples of individual diagnoses that you work with or people that you help? Sure. So the majority of them have some form of intellectual or developmental disability. So we've worked with people that have cerebral palsy, um, some cognitive impairment, you know, not otherwise specified. 
uh, seizure disorders. We do work uh, a bit with folks coming out of forensic units and um, and adult mental health units. So some of those folks have, um, I mean, everything from from autism to uh, severe psychiatric conditions. So it it kind of we get the whole gamut. But uh-huh. the, the majority of our work is folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Uh-huh. Okay, and um, these services are funded by uh, a grant, or are they funded by insurance? Yeah. So our the what we do, what the consulting firm that I work with does, is is all funded through a contract with Georgia's Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities. Uh-huh. Um, so that's where that funding comes from. So I don't bill Medicaid. I don't deal with insurance, which is probably why we're able to do all the things that we do. Right. Um, um, but the state, and it, it varies from state to state, how states manage um, care for those type of individuals. In Georgia, we have, a, we have a couple waivers, Medicaid waivers that provide services. So those individuals are getting um, residential supports and clinical supports through the waiver. If they're old enough and if they, if they qualify, some, some folks have Medicare, but the majority of our folks are Medicaid waiver um, mm-hmm. individuals. Wow. Okay. And um, can you tell us, I mean, this definitely seems like a challenging area to work in. What are some challenges that you've come across in your experiences? Yeah. yeah. So um, probably one of the bigger challenges that we have, especially in the state of Georgia, that's kind of trying to get the infrastructure set up is um, finding available uh, community clinicians who are, one, willing to treat our population, but two, probably more important, feel like they're capable and competent in treating them. So we have relied heavily on pediatric therapy clinics to provide services for our folks. Now, the folks that we transition out are, you know, have been in the institutions since the, the 60s and the 70s, so they're older. They fall in the geriatric uh, for sure. Um, but there are a lot of outpatient OT and PT clinics are not geared towards developmental disabilities. A lot of them are orthopedic in nature, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're treating shoulders and backs mm-hmm. and knees, and they're not necessarily um, equipped or feel like they're able to treat somebody who's got a sensory processing disorder who's 57 years old that's coming out of a, a state institution, you know? Right, so That's right. probably the biggest challenge that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's all the, the professional and personal growth and development <laughs> from doing right. that sort of thing. So I went from doing you know, essentially working with doctors on surgeries and rehabbing patients from surgery to advising state um, state agency personnel on how to how to support people in the community. So it was a different. Um, right. There's a learning curve for sure. Yeah, that's that's really different. I mean, did you take courses? Is it the courses you just you know learn from experiences? So it was a little bit of both. I've, I've taken a good bit of courses now. You'll find this out, that there, there are not a lot of courses out there, continuing education courses for supporting adults with intellectual developmental disabilities, right? They're all really geared towards pediatrics. <laughs> so I've sat through a few pediatric courses on sensory processing and sensory integration just to kind of get my juices flowing with that. Um, and then a lot of it was um, on-the-job training. Uh, there's a, another OT, Laura, who's uh, on our team, and she did this kind of work um, with the same company in Illinois mm-hmm. when they were shutting down um, an institution up there. So she kind of trained me on the job while we were here in Georgia, 
Uh-huh. So it's been a little bit of uh, a little bit of coursework, a little bit of book reading, and then a whole lot of on-the-job training. And so, I mean, I, I work in um, an OT program. A lot of the students are interested in working in institutions. Um, what advice would you give someone that wanted to go into that area of practice? Oh, um, <laughs> well, my personal view um, is that institutional care um, is, is restrictive at best and probably dehumanizing at worst. Uh-huh. given okay. the history of institutions. Right. Um, so I, I strongly fall um, in the fence or in the camp of everybody deserves and can be supported in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that falls kind of in line with, with the Olmstead decision in 1999 and, and the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990, where the, even the, the Supreme Court has said that there's the right of the individuals with disabilities to live in their communities that they want to, right? right. Um, so moving forward, like, ultimately what we want is a society of inclusion, right? Right. We don't want segregation, which is what institutions are, basically. We take all these people that have the same type of disabilities and we put them all together in a disability bubble where they're, quote-unquote, safe right. and interacting with, you know, their own kind, right? Um, which is... You know, if you think about even the tenets of OT, is that something that we really want to be advocating for? Right. Um, I think so I fall on the side of no. <laughs> right. I agree. You know what? Students need to hear that. They need to hear that it's not so attractive to work in those types of facilities. You know, that yeah. even if they do, that the end goal should be to transition those individuals to the community. The end goal should not be staying in those facilities. Um, Absolutely. So I, think- I mean, the goal is inclusion. Right. right. We want we want a world where and I want this for you know, I I have three kids and one on the way. Like mm-hmm. I want my kids to be able to interact with folks in a wheelchair with some kind of disability, just like they're interacting with, you know, me and my wife and, you know, our yeah. friends. You know, we they yeah, no, we we shouldn't want our we shouldn't want to be viewing people on a on a basis of disability, but rather on, on a more deep and fundamental level, which is we're all humans. Right. right. We well all what want you're belonging. Yeah. Right. But what you're doing is definitely, you know, promoting that, uh, you know, on a large scale. So I really thank you for that. Um, could you share some, like, success stories that you've had or, you know, or failures that you've had? And, and, you know. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, the successes are, are more fun to talk about. Right, so. for sure. For sure. Um, I'm thinking of a guy, uh, we'll call him Jerry. It's not his okay. real name. But um, so Jerry lived in an institution the better part of 37 or 38 years, he's, he's an older guy, um, in a wheelchair, has a moderate intellectual disability. Um, and I was uh, tasked with being the OT on his transition team. So we did a home assessment. We got his, um, the modifications in place that he was going to need, the equipment, the, um, the training for his residential. He was going into a group home, so we trained the residential care staff on him specifically and what he would need and support-wise for, for you know, functional mobility and just ADLs and that sort of thing. Uh, part of what we do is we go and follow up with the individuals after they transition out. We do a, a post-transition visit or two just to ensure that they're stable. Um, and this guy had, um, in the institution, he had, quote-unquote, behaviors. He was aggressive. Um, he had a lot of issues apparently on the wards. Um, and I go up to his house, I, I roll up to his, uh, you know, walk up the ramp or whatever, knock on the door. 
And he opens the door <laughs> with his big old smile on my face, on his face, a big bag of trash, like out of the kitchen garbage in his, in his lap. And he's like on a mission, like he's going to mow me off of this ramp because mm-hmm. he's taking the trash out to the curb. Um, and just the look of joy on his face from something as simple, like something that I get frustrated about in my house, like taking the trash out. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But to him, it was, um, it was empowering. It was, he was participating in his own self care. He was interacting with folks. I mean, wave to people as he was, you know, wheeling his, his trash out to the sidewalk, the neighbors are waving. So, you know, you have this guy that lived the majority of his life basically in a situation where he did not get to choose who he interacted with, right? right? He lived he lived with people that were assigned to his room. The people that he interacted with were paid caregivers a lot of times, and there's some problems with that still with group homes, but at least he's out in the community and he's interacting with people. He's choosing to, to do things like that, to participate and live an engaged life, um, and that's amazing. Um, right. I would think probably if you want to talk about failures and, and struggles would be really the folks that um, have complex medical needs and, and accidents happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, probably the, the, one of the first folks that I helped transition out um, had dysphagia. He had swallowing issues and probably, I think a month or two after he transitioned out, he, um, he aspirated and went to the hospital and had aspiration pneumonia and was put on hospice and, um, died shortly after that. Um, and you want to talk about feeling the weight and the responsibility of something like that. You know, it shook me up for, right. for obvious reasons. Um, and the reality is people, people die everywhere. They die in the institution and in the community. But when, when it's somebody that you're intimately involved with and trying to support, it's hard right. for sure. So we've had some successes, a lot more successes than failures, I'd like to say. But. Uh-huh. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing amazing work. I mean, you know, I, I definitely think that it takes a certain type of therapist, a certain type of individual to work with this population and in the, the, these, you know, um, institutions and state hospitals. And I think you're, you're doing such a great job at promoting function and inclusion and occupation and all of that and roles. I mean, uh, I can't imagine how more OT-related it could get. Um, Raphael, thank you so much for you know being part of our podcast today and sharing your experiences with us. I hope that others will gain from this and use that information, you know, not only in terms of OT, but in terms of, like you said, with your kids, inclusion on a daily basis in schools and the community all over. Uh, I think it's so important, you know, to decrease stigma and and to just include everyone. Um, in in you know in in the community and you know in daily in daily activities in the community, um, so I thank you for that and um, I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. I appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks. Bye bye.